This is Joseph Gervasi. I'm here with John Paul Galaski and Yoni Kroll. Uh, We're doing this uh, interview at WKDU uh, 91.7 FM uh, here on the Drexel campus. Uh, today is March 31st, 2013, and this is part of the Loud Fast Philly series. Hello, John Paul. Hello. And hello, Yoni. Howdy. Um, <clears throat> So we'll start with you, John Paul. We're going to kind of move back and forth between the two of you to kind of talk a little bit about your upbringing, where you grew up, um, and ultimately how the two of you came to be in Philadelphia. Um, for the listener, there's a considerable age difference between the two of them. Um, and then uh, Yoni is a baby, and John Paul... <laughs> I was going to say, he's about six years, five years older than me. I don't know. I'm 39. Yeah, I'm 33. Okay, well, I guess there's not that much of a difference, but uh, well, anyways... Uh, and then we'll kind of converge and talk about the station and stuff. Uh, so, John Paul, did you grow up in Philadelphia? Yes, I grew up in West Philadelphia. Okay, excellent. Um, so, what part of uh, West Philly did you grow up in? Uh, Overbrook. Okay. And was actually born about three blocks from here. Yeah, nice. You're one of the very few people that I've interviewed so far in Philly who actually was born in Philadelphia. Most folks came in, you know, at some point early in life or later. Um, uh, so... Yoni, where were you born? Jerusalem, Israel. Okay, that's a little ways away. <laughs> uh, I lived actually in Overbrook Park when I was three years old for a couple of years. And that's when, because then I ended up in Florida when I was a teenager. And was choosing schools to go to when I was turning 18. And I said, ah, oh, Philadelphia. I liked Philadelphia when I was a kid. We have friends there. It's pretty far away from Florida. I want to go to school in Philadelphia, and so I ended up. That's how I ended up at Drexel's because we spent a couple of years in Philly when I was a kid. And did you have at this point an interest in punk? I had an interest in goth industrial, uh, and some interest in skate punk, uh, and some other stuff here and there. But I wasn't going to shows or anything like that when I lived in Florida, unfortunately, because I could have could have gotten to see a lot of really good stuff. But I was so anti where I lived that I and I knew that there was things going on elsewhere in the world, uh, but I just couldn't imagine that there was anything cool going on in South Florida. And I could have gone to see death, ASUC. Death metal bands, right? I could have gone to see ASUC. I could have gone to see Discount Against All Authority, uh, Marilyn Manson and the Spooky Kids back when they were interesting. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so I guess we'll go back to you, John Paul. Uh, so... Young John Paul, prior to punk, what 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 were your interests or what, what was your scene? I don't know. I got into it pretty early. Um, so how old were you when you discovered this thing? Oh, God, probably like 10 or wow. 11. Jeez. Well, I had an older sister. And she was pro I mean, she's about four years older than me. And she was probably about 14, maybe 15, when it's school... I don't know. I, I I don't know exactly how she transitioned into it, but I remember about that age, she was bringing home, uh, like, Bad Brains records and stuff like that, and then just hanging out with her, like listening to them. So, so I missed that whole the '80s kids listening to Michael Jackson because once I heard it, it just something clicked. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then um, a few years later, there was and there was no kids my age at my school that listened to that stuff. There was maybe some metal kids that then got into skateboarding and because in the 80s thrasher was very punk rock 
from reading Thrasher, they got into like kind of the gateway bands like Suicidal Tendencies, and then from that discovered Minor Threat or Black Flag and, and stuff like that. But yeah, first it was really I was definitely young, and it was it was just older sister influence. So, as such a young person, what was this music saying to you? Because it's kind of prior to a time that you'd be going through, like, a teenage angst. Uh, you know, I don't know. Some of it just clicked. And it was it was the American stuff. It wasn't... I mean, I liked the Sex Pistols when I was young, but it didn't really make any sense to me. And didn't, honestly, didn't really listen to The Clash until later. I mean, maybe a little bit, because The Clash was, like, still on the radio at that point. Mm-hmm. But it was just some of the American stuff, like Circle Jerks and stuff like that, that was just the angsty, frustrated kid. Like, I went to a pretty small private school and definitely felt even more of that. Like, it was so small that you couldn't just get lost in the crowd. Mm -hmm. But also felt like you couldn't, you know, get lost, like, in terms of trying to get lost in the crowd and lay low under the radar, and you couldn't. And I I don't know, something, I guess, I don't know, something just clicked. It was a long time ago. (laughs) Okay, Uh, so we'll go back. To you, Yoni. Uh, so you came into Philadelphia, uh, and at, at some point, and mm-hmm. you discover or plug into this. Scene. I mean, how does this? Within the first week of being in Philly, because I listened to back when back when MTV had videos, mm-hmm. I would stay up late and watch 120 minutes. I'd watch Headbangers Ball because uh, I listened to a lot of metal when I was a preteen. Uh, and within a week of being in Philly, I went to my first show which was uh, Helmet and the Melvins, and Today is a Day, at the Troc. Because I'd listened to Helmet a lot in high school. And I said, oh, this band is playing. I should really go see them play. And so I went to go see them. I went to go see uh, KMFDM and Pig. Like, like, within my first few weeks of being in Philly, I started going to shows. And then I found out about that shows didn't have to be at the TLA or the, the Troc. And I started going to shows at the Kill Time, mostly within a year and a half or so. So what year is this about? Uh, I got to Philly in 97. Okay. And so my first basement show was at the Catbox. And what was that? That was at, um, between, it was West Philly. So Buckingham Ave. Mm-hmm. And they still have shows in Buckingham Ave. Which is really great. It's sort of a, an island in the middle of things. Yeah. And that first show was was Eulogy and Miles of Destruction, and Captain Crash. And I remember I went with my ex girlfriend. Uh, she was not my ex girlfriend at the time, unfortunately. And she hated Captain Crash and made us go home. She said, "I don't know what this is, but it's terrible, and I can't be here any longer." This is the grounds for breaking up. <laughs> So that was that was my first basement show, whatever that was, like probably in '98 or so, and that was right when '99 was right when R5 started doing stuff at the 4040, and I went to basically every Kill Time show and every 4040 show, and learned about music by going through dollar dollar bins and going through comps and not paying any attention to anything else that people told me to listen to. It took me years to come around to listening to the stuff that everyone listens to, but I can tell you all about some obscure Norwegian band from 1987 who put out 17-inch. Well, were you feeling a contrast between the the industrial scene that you had come through and then this 
this underground hardcore punk scene that you were at this point moving through? I never really got to see too much. Like, I kind of wanted to start going to goth stuff when I got to Philly, and then instead I realized that the goth scene was really pretentious and I didn't really care. Bill Lugosi was, in fact, dead. Yeah, and the music was really boring, and the clothes were really expensive, and I didn't want to go to some weird bar night. And so the idea, and what I've always enjoyed about, about DIY music is the feeling that you're part of the show as audience. Like, I've gone to, I've gone to see goth industrial shows, I've gone to see really bad punk stuff, where you can tell that no matter if there's five people in the crowd or 500, the band would play the exact same way. There's no real push from the crowd onto the band. And what I've always liked about DIY music and what keeps me coming back is that I feel I am right there, you are right there, you're playing music, I am audience, we are we are one, this is the show. And that's what's exciting about that's what's exciting about music, that's what's what's exciting about punk. Absolutely. Uh, so going back, uh, John Paul, to you at age 10, 11 or so, um, as you grow interested in, in the hardcore punk, when do you become when do you begin to realize that there is, you know, an active scene of people, you know, outside of your, your school or your neighborhood who are who are doing this thing? Um, was your sister going to shows at the time? I don't think she did for a couple of years. Uh, and then the first... She was at some point, and I don't exactly remember when, and then she started taking me to shows, and sometimes my brother, my younger brother, would go with us too. The hell was he? He was like four? <laughs> no, he's, he was only two years younger than me, but he... I'm trying to remember the first time. See, I know the the first like concert I went to with her was at the Man Music Center. It was at Lou Reed, and then that was that was probably like 1985 or something like that, or 86. I don't I don't really remember. But then she was definitely still in high school. I remember going to punk shows with her while she was still in high school, and so I would have been in like seventh or eighth grade. Wow, she must have been very patient to take. You know, <laughs> I mean, like most teenage girls don't want to have their little brother tagging along with them too. Yeah, show. and they were like you know matinee shows too, so it wasn't like you know stuff late at night necessarily. Do you remember what what shows you were going to early on then? The first show I went to was Scram and McGrath and Nixon's Head. And, and that was what was that Pizzazz? Or, no, uh, it was it was out in the suburbs, oh. out in like in uh, out on the main line. It was like a like a summer thing. Um, and so, what year would that be? Like probably like eighty seven. Okay, I'm I'm kind of guessing, but based on the fact that she was, I know she was still in high school, and it was around that time that I actually discovered WKDU, and then once discovered KDU, that was that was kind of the the connection to everything. You know, it was the first place I heard tons, I can't even tell you how many records, because it was back when, especially college radio would get records weeks and weeks before they'd be in stores, and you kind of, you know, either something I didn't know, but a big KDU record would get played, you know, for, for KDU it's huge or something gets played a few times a day. Mm. Not like once an hour, heavy rotation, commercial radio thing. But then also the radio station doing uh, show listings is when I started to find out about stuff, especially like into high school. And then when I started high school, my sister was starting college, which was at Drexel here, and she was a DJ. So it was also that kind of extra connection to the station. she bring you into the station? Yeah, and she... Back then, KDU was not on Monday through Friday. 
two in the afternoon until 10 at night. So we had about 40 hours a week less of programming than we do now. And as a freshman, you had to fight and do grunt work for at least a term or two to then get a like 2 a.m. slot. And I, I remember when she got hers at times, if it was lined up with like a vacation or something like that, I'd come down here and uh, a couple times when I was like a freshman in high school and that was the greatest thing in the world. You know, to all of a sudden be let loose with the best record collection in the, in the, <laughs> yeah. the region. So did you know then, like entering into high school, like I gotta go to Drexel because you know, otherwise I'm not gonna be a DJ at this place. I, I mean, it kind of, like our, our dad actually went to Drexel for engineering and always thought really highly of it. And I wanted to be a mechanical engineer back then. And I wanted to stay in Philadelphia. So it was, even, even if KDU was out of the equation, it, it just made sense. It was like, you know, arguably first or second best mechanical engineering school in the country is, is 30 blocks from my house. And it has the best radio station in the United States. So it was just like, it was perfect. So yeah, it just worked out. And there's also a point then that you become involved in shows, like sort of actively involved in the scene. Uh, when when does that kind of begin in earnest? I guess once really once I was here at the station, because um, when I was in high school it was more just going to sort of matinee shows. But they were sometimes I would go to like warehouse shows with my sister, the ones that and back then they start at midnight and go until like the sun came up. And your parents didn't have an issue with you know, it, it, you know it was a weird I couldn't go out with my friends and stay out late but if I was with my sister then they just sort of I was just sort of with her and they didn't really think anything of it but if I was just sort of jumping on the train with a friend of mine in our skateboards then it was like JC Dobbs back then used to do the 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. matinee shows and stuff like that you know you could go to a show that was on South Street and go to the skateboard shops and zipper head and skins or something like that and be home before dark even or or whatever you know but there was i guess back then there was i mean there were, i guess there was tons of diy shows that were further out that i just didn't know about but even that or or you know the trocadero was around forever stuff like that so we'll go back to you uh yoni uh so when do you come into here the, the station to do uh it took me a while actually i had a couple of years at Drexel and then I kind of dropped out, dropped back in and got involved with the newspaper. And at the time the newspaper, uh, which is called the Triangle and KDU had a lot of overlap. Uh, there were, especially in the entertainment section, there'd always be KDU people and we'd sit around and listen to KDU all the time. And my first time down here was during, there was a metal show. This guy Stubbs had a, had this metal show late at night, and I was listening at the newspaper, and he said, "Is anyone out there listening? Say, I'll give you money or pizza or something. Like, just call me up, come down, spin records, hang out." And I, I, I said, "I'm three floors above. Can I come down?" He said, "Yeah, sure." And so that was my first time hanging out at the radio station, and I started hanging out here a lot more, and eventually. St- basically dropped out again and just a whole mess of things but that's that's basically i've been at i've been at kdu now for seven or eight years i think you're working on what 18 years 21 21 years so what uh, officially i I don't really understand how does the policy work in that like you know clearly neither Uh of you attend (laughs) (laughs) this does not ever be discussed (laughs) i don't we're technically we're guests 
Okay. Because we're alums of the university. We're, yeah, alumni are allowed to have shows? As far as the radio station's constitution, uh, all preference is given to full-time undergrad, current students, whatever. People who have to, to work around a schedule of classes or if they're on the co-op program working. But we have so many hours that we... One, just because we have to fill the, the timeline that there's room for that. Two, it's not like this is the chess club where you can completely wipe your membership out at the end of the year and start fresh. Mm-hmm. That we're running a for real FM radio station in the, what, fifth or sixth largest radio market in the country. And you need people that know what they're doing. Like there's, there's, I mean, I still do engineering work, not nearly as much as I have, but even years after I stopped taking classes, if something goes down in the middle of the day, there's some stuff where there's there's like a whole legal procedure what you have to do to turn off your transmitter and and file paperwork if you're down for more than a few hours and stuff and honestly there's things that I can probably fix in 20 minutes that other people just because they I mean I was here when we rewired the whole radio station so it's just stuff that I and that's that's considered an asset and people that did the music director stuff or did pro, you know any kind of production work or or just there's there's a reason to keep people around. Basically, right. also just from a from a quality standpoint, uh, the DJs that have been here for a while that have a sense of not just what they're doing, but a sense of the music they're playing, mm-hmm. will put together overall better shows. Will have better connection to local bands or to even to national bands coming through, uh, and have just. I notice with new DJs coming in, where they go. Oh, I really liked like this band in high school a lot, and I'm 19 now. I know when I was 19, I would not have been good at KDO, because uh, I had. It's not that my taste in music was bad, but I didn't have a particularly good developed sense of musical self, and I think that with the the DJs that have been here for years upon years, I mean we have like someone like Mike Idol, who just came back two years ago. He, he started, started in the 80s. Yeah, he started. Is that the like, oldest like? Active, yeah. yeah. Him or Trixie Noyes, or maybe a reggae DJ, or yeah. <clears throat> I know, maybe ten years ago. I mean, it's ten years ago, but there was a reggae DJ still doing a weekly show, and he was on a schedule I found from 1981. Wow! And he had disappeared at some point. He did. Uh, I think he was kind of on a GI Bill. Like, he was here as a student, disappeared, went into the military, came back to Philadelphia. Killed Osama Bin Laden, came back. <laughs> came back and then spun reggae records and talked about it. I don't know. Yeah. But there, there, there are definitely a couple of people that have been here for a long time. Yeah, I think Mike Idol started in 85 or something like that. Maybe a little later, but he was... I know he was here when my sister started in 88. So, yeah. in the, yeah, like mid-late 80s. And he's... He, and I mean, he did great. disappear for a good while, but he yeah. was still here when I started. And I met him first in high school. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there definitely have a history of people being around. So clearly, I mean, for the two of you, this has to be a sort of effort of love because you're not being paid to do this. It yeah. seems to be fairly time-consuming uh, and demanding. Yeah. Um, and, so a pay, I guess, and a pain in the ass. And, yeah, I'm sure that <laughs> as well. So I guess, you know, if both of you could uh, explain in turn, what is it that you get out of, out of doing this, you know, year after year, where it is so time-consuming and, it's a, you know... It's the best not... place in the world. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean... It's, it's definitely weird because I, I grew up listening to it long before I even thought about college. I, you know, it's just 
13 or something when I first found it. And just have so much respect for the radio station, which honestly the importance of it is is not what it was in terms of underground music just because of the internet. I mean, that, that just leveled everything. Let me throw this one quick question and then we'll kind of go back to that. But you can now stream uh, the station. And it, I mean, it's probably been like that for some years. How many years has it been that, you, that one could stream the station through the internet and how much of a difference has that made? You know what, the guy that built our web stream is sitting out there, actually. <laughs> and he hasn't, and he graduated 11 years ago. Um, so we were, well, he rebuilt our stream. We were streaming in the 90s. Okay. We were one of the, we were definitely not the first, but we were one of the early radio stations to stream. And we were really sort of making it up as we went along. Like, we were streaming for a couple of years before there was any kind of legal whole music licensing thing that even got into considering streaming because it because commercial stations weren't doing it yet it didn't it was under the radar mm -hmm. and it was almost like this weird novelty um but i know it's it's definitely changed i don't know i mean i don't know who looks at our logs now but i know we have listeners all over the country and all over the world I don't think a ton. I don't. I mean, it's 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 a relatively small presence in terms of it. But we also don't promote ourselves, mm. like our web our web stuff. It's more like people that know. There's people that seem to naturally find it, yeah. like organically, and then it's people that move. Like the the one guy here lives in in New York, and he still listens all the time. Yeah. And I have friends that live in Canada, but it's more like people I know in the real world that that listen. I mean, things that I've done before with other other stations is I've found playlists, and I said. Oh wow! So when is the show on? It's on, you know, University of Calgary radio at seven o'clock in the morning. Well, that wouldn't actually happen, but you know, like University of Calgary radio at seven o'clock at night, I'll make sure to listen in because they're playing things that I really like. And I think that having the web presence really allows you to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember, and I'll kind of, I guess, I'll go over this in the interview that we'll do mm -hmm. later. But as a kid, tuning into KDU in New Jersey, where I could like very barely get this signal and then I'm like praying that the guy after playing all these songs is going to read off this list of stuff which, like, he's, he's got like, he's, it may or may not happen but I'm just like ready with a pen to scrawl this stuff down because it becomes this like this list I have to find these things I have a friend who somewhere has tapes of John Paul from 15 years ago uh, that he would stay up late he's a couple years I don't know how old he is he's somewhere in the vicinity of my age like 33 34 and he would stay up late and record kdu and say i don't know what this is but i'm going to try to track this down because he was actually asking me he said do you think you could ask that guy because i've got this tape and i'm not sure what this one song is i've been I've been kind of curious about it for 15 years and i've gotten <laughs> tapes like that in the mail because <laughs> you, you hear about people that leave town and their friends that still live in Philly will tape their favorite shows on KDU and mail them tapes. Like before, either they were somewhere that didn't have high-speed internet access or before we were webcasting. I used to hear stories like that all the time. about, And then people keep them, they like mixtapes. Even yeah, if yeah. they, you know, they live in like New York, you can't get radio on the subway anyway or something. So they'll, they'll listen to... My first time really, I think my first time listening to KDU, at least my first time like actively paying attention to what was going on, was in South Jersey. I was in the car with my mom. We were driving to New York. We'd gotten over the bridge, and I'm playing with the radio, trying to find something, and I just hear this voice. It was Danielle uh, going, that last song was Einster's Ende Neubauten. And I said, 
what is this? <laughs> like, what is no? I like I knew I knew the band. I just didn't know what the radio station was. Yeah. And then I said, "Oh, that's Drexel's radio station." I think I was like eighteen or nineteen, and and I like that was my first time like really paying attention to it was randomly, which is what I think is great about radio, which really sucks about anything to do with the web. For the web, you have to actively tune in. For anything internet related, you have to actively tune in. For analog radio you can be spinning the dial and go, oh, what was that? Oh, that sounds really cool. I'm going to stop. It must be great um, for, for both of you to not so much act as tastemakers, but to kind of like plant lovely little seeds inside people's heads, like, you know, with these tapes that these people have saved and like all of this is, uh, you know, you're putting these things out into the world. You have no idea how many people are listening uh, and by what means, but you're probably putting a lot of little seeds oh, of inspiration absolutely. in people's heads. And it's music that you just don't hear anywhere else. I think that's yeah. the most important thing, especially when it comes to local music, is that there's no other place to hear so much of what we've played over the last 30-plus years. And that's, that's one, of the, one of the things we always tell new DJs is, instead of, if you're playing, not to throw them under the bus, but the Green Day song that everyone knows because you can hear it in the mall under the PA system, you're not playing some local band that pressed 307 inches and gave us one mm -hmm. kind of thing. And or, you're promoting. Or, and I mean, a lot of us, I think we get, like most of the phone calls we get are people saying, instead of people making a request, it's people wanting to know what that song is because they're, they're not going to roll the dice and hope you read them back and they can yeah. figure it out. I get that phone call all the time. And that's, I mean, that's almost like where you're doing something right, where they're, they're cool with just whatever you're playing, but then all of a sudden they're just like, what is this? Yeah. And it's, and that's, I think that's one thing that makes a station like this relevant in the internet era is, like Yoni said, if someone wants to listen to Bad Religion, they can find it. Or any band, you can go find it somewhere on it's the like internet. Like the iTunes or Amazon or, or whatever. Yeah, but if you're just looking to listen to something new, like, People will, will tune to us because they'll hear songs they know, obviously, but then they'll hear a lot of stuff they don't know. And whether it's an old local band from 15 years ago or something new that's just really small, yeah. I it's think just sort of that's, that's what, what I a mean. Good not, it's does. not, yeah, it's not even just the, the local band that made 300 copies of their seven inch and sent us one. We have things in our record library, we have records that bands from across the country made 500 copies of and sent us one. And my way of finding music back there, and I tell this to actually any of the new DJs that I talk to, is look for the stuff that's beat up. Mm -hmm. Look for things that look like crap because you know that they've been played over and over and over again. And for example, like that's how I got into 9353, who are an old KDU band 20 right. years ago, uh, or this band Folks on Fire, because mm -hmm. I was grabbing FOD, and right next to FOD was the Folk Devils, who I just started listening to on a whim, who were great, like weird, like post-punk British stuff. And right next to that, like a couple years later, I said, oh, what's this Folks on Fire thing? And Folks on Fire is this Louisville band that made one record in 1985. They sound like something like a David Byrne wet dream. And they're great. They're fantastic. And I got in touch with the band you know, via Facebook, I'm probably, you know, and I'm friends with one of the members of the band, and I'm probably the only person not from Louisville who says, oh, Folks on Fire, great band, because they were all in high school, and they probably made 
even under 500 copies and who knows why they sent us one but that's something that i started playing two or three years ago then now i know oh if i'm playing something that's like weird funky like talking heads kind of stuff i can play folks on fire and it will go great with it but i know you're gonna get the calls like what in the hell is yeah. this thing yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that's just that's really awesome to be able to share with people and to be able to have the opportunity to share with people and I guess you don't know if, if someone who listens to that likes the thing enough, they may endeavor to see this thing mm -hmm. reissued. Yeah. Uh, and you may never even know that you played a role in this part of the process. But here, this thing then becomes, you know, gets a legitimate issue and gets to be heard by, you know, lots more people outside of the area. Yeah. I, we have heard that on a smaller scale. I I've, mean, like there's old yeah. Philly bands that said they knew it was one of those things that hit them when they would hear the new batch of 18-year-old, 19-year-old freshmen playing their band. And it wasn't just all the old guys and girls that had been around when they were playing shows. But there were these new kids that they were like, I don't know if they knew who our band was for two weeks or for 12 years, and they were just too young to see us. But, yeah, and that's... So, I mean, in that weird way, you get to see sort of the flip side and get to hear the reaction. But, I, yeah, I can't even imagine an out-of-town band. Yeah. And now if they Google search their name they'll see, they'll find Yoni's playlist. Yeah, that's the thing is also, because of that, you can go, like, you'll find that, like, KDU will be the only time that you'll see reference to this band. Mm -hmm. It'll be their MySpace that they set up 10 years ago when they thought, oh, maybe we should do this, and a couple message board posts, like, does anyone have the copy of whatever, and then a KDU playlist. Because I've done those searches before, hoping to find out more about what I was playing. And then you find yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Done the same thing. So do you find, uh, for some of the younger DJs that are coming in, and since the, the interview and the project is kind of focused on punk, we'll, we'll go in that direction. But like the younger DJs that come in who are playing that, do, you, do they have an interest in Philly's punk history? Do they want to find you know, these old gems from the past and explore these bands? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And some of it, it's weird because now, I mean, I'm not here during the days all day. So I don't know how that all goes about, but they definitely do. Even just talking to some of the younger kids and even some of them at some point asking me for records I put out, which would all be from the 90s into the very early 2000s, but bulk of the stuff I put out was 96 to 2000. And they'll say like, hey, do you still have any copies of blah, blah, blah? And then, you know, like we're listening to their shows and you hear them, you know, a kid who's like 19 years old playing like Franklin or Fracture or something like that. And just being like, wow, that's a band I used to see like every two weeks. Oh, that's right. I did see Fracture on someone's playlist recently. Uh, they, they, and, oh, they, like these kids were telling me about, you know, how they, they were head over heels because they scored the reissue on eBay. The re of, of, of the, the Fracture, the, the no idea reissue. Okay. Kind of thing. And I, I'm not even sure they knew it was a reissue because they obviously didn't know that the band put out the record themselves and, you know, whenever the 95 or whatever that was, yeah. 96. And, um. And I don't, I don't know if it was because it was a no idea release and they were into other things from that label, but there, yeah, there's definitely a process where they stumble back into some of the old bands. And then, and that's one thing where, like Yoni was saying, the comps, one of the best things that ever happened to me was getting kicked off the air for log points, which is just paperwork, the FCC logs. And my punishment was I had to recatalog all the 12 inch comps mm -hmm. and 
so. went in there with a playlist, a blank playlist, and just wrote down all these comps. And I was like, "Whoa, I gotta listen to this! Oh, I gotta listen to this!" And probably found like a hundred records that I was blown away by. Local comps are great because, yeah. like, there's there's one that we have here that's a Cleveland comp from like '86 or '87. You know what it's called? Um, they're they're something us with rocks and garbage. Like the streets are strewn with rocks and garbage, or something like that. And there's a bunch of really good stuff on there. And that was just something that I found while going through the record library. And yeah, I've played stuff off of that a number of times. And I actually, the same thing, like I found one of the bands and I said, you guys are great. You guys sound like crass, but from Cleveland in 1986, how'd that happen? And, you know, st- you struck up a conversation. Does this then compel the two of you to, when you find this really weird, rare old record, like do you need to then buy it, you know, find it on eBay or whatever for your personal collection? Not usually. I've done that a lot over the years. Maybe not as much as I used to, but... Yeah. They're especially... I mean, that was... I was into buying, really into buying records years ago, and anytime I'd go to a new city, first thing I'd do is look up, you know, I'd have my, like, book your own fucking life or something like that to be able to figure out where all the record stores were. And my my younger brother went to school in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and it would go and hit... Every time I would go up there, I would hit, like, half a dozen record stores... And Last time I did that in Boston, I found a vile horrendous seven inch. <laughs> yeah, see, it's it's <laughs> you can find a lot of Philly stuff when you're in another city, and it's stuff that's key to you. It's huge, and in Philly, you know, you might not be able to find it here, but mm-hmm. you go to another city, and it's it might be in a dollar bin because just no one knows what it is, and it was put out self released. Yeah. <clears throat> but I definitely have bought tons of records over the years that I definitely knew from here and would play regularly on my show. I guess I guess a better answer to your like I've done that a lot, just not through eBay. I, I I like the I like going through record bins. I like finding things. I don't like the oh look, it's right there. I can buy it. It's mine. Like I don't think that there's any real challenge. Might be too much of a. Well, I've bought a lot on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you both have bonkers record collections? Yeah. I you know what I really got out of the phase of buying records when I started putting out records. Did it kind of... Just financially, I couldn't yeah, afford to do Because both. you still have 500 Abreax records in your garage? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a lot. I mean, I have a whole, there's a whole small... Well, it's a large closet or small room in my house that's all the the back stock of Google Records. But... Um, the problem is no one can spell the word Google. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no one can spell I just... I, you know what, though? But, but putting out the records is when I really cut back on buying them just because just back then I didn't I just didn't have the money to do both it was one or the other and then worked in a record store for a couple of years and got paid in records so that kind of there was kind of Were a weird eating the records and like giving the landlord records for, like, <laughs> well like I only I, I only worked one day a week so that was okay. my fun money that I would have gone out and bought records with anyway but I got the first shot at, the, at? Uh, CI records on South Street okay. and got you know working there got first shot at all the used records which was which was great i bought a large chunk of sam mcfeeder's record collection on the ebay (laughs) which is one of the stranger things i've ever spent a lot of money on including i was just i just got one of those record shelves put together and i've been putting things where they're supposed to go and came across the born against test press that i have that i had him sign because his friend apparently was just lying out in Sam McFeeder's world. It like his records just lie everywhere, and his buddy said, "Oh, it's one of your old records. I'm going to draw a giant swastika on it." <laughs> and it was a Born Against the Rebel Sounds test press, 
And so I have a Rebel Sounds test press with a giant swastika on it and a Sam McPhee signature. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> and you can't sell it on eBay because it's got a swastika on it. Yeah. Too wow. bad. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Now, I always liked, uh, like, because I was never, a, a, like, a drug person, when someone would get addicted to drugs and then, like, couldn't pay their mortgage and had to get rid of their record collection, oh, that's really awful. I'll buy the whole thing from you. And then, uh, who cares what happens to them after that? There you go. <laughs> yeah, let's not end on that. <laughs> uh, okay, so, uh, in conclusion, then... Um, the station seems to be thriving. I, we can hear a little reggae coming through the walls. Um, is the future, you know, pretty assured for the station? You know, there's always that fear that really it would just take the right administrative person to throw the switch. I mean, that's what happened in XPN. XPN. That's was what happened to almost every college station yeah. in the country. But hopefully, they acknowledge that being a pretty like a letting the kids run wild have made this an award-winning station for 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 a long time but a real cutting-edge station for the last 30 plus years and hopefully they see the value in that and in terms of the current membership there's there's a lot of full-time students not even alums that are in bands that tour the country and put out records and have bands play in their living rooms and kitchens and basements so I mean, they're. I think the station's as tied into the DIY scene in Philly as it ever was, mm -hmm. and it's. If anything, it's maybe even more, but it, at least as much as it's been in in the last twenty five years that I've been right up in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, sure, there's nothing else like this, uh, and I suppose they can look at logs and, and so forth and see that it's you know there's an audi appreciative audience. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those college radio stations are scary because. I think the internet has is, is almost devalued them, but at some point, a lot of universities, someone saw a dollar sign on the radio station and thought to take it over and they could somehow make it profitable or a 24-hour PR tool. I mean, that just happened at, what, University of San Francisco? Yeah, I don't even... I mean, there's, so there's always... Yeah. That was always a thing in the back of our... It wasn't even someone screws up. But obviously, there's, there's a benefit staying under the radar. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was definitely years where the administration didn't even know we existed. And then we would win, or we would tie for best of Philly for radio station. Not college, but best of Philly radio station. Mm -hmm. And then someone up and they're like, hey. <laughs> There's some weirdos in the basement <laughs> doing what? Yeah, and they're like, wait, is that the shortwave guys that sit up in the attic? Like, you know. <laughs> I mean, there was recently that giant billboard. Because KDU Yeah, won... school did run some full-size yeah. billboards yeah. around the city. Yeah, for KDU, which was really weird. Did it have pictures of your faces on there or anything like that? Or no, that would not have worked out. Someone outside the station actually designed them. So it was, I guess, not what we would, in terms of information-wise, but it had the logo that we've been using yeah. on the stickers and T-shirts and, and it, stuff. Because so we won College of the Year, according to CMJ, CMJ yeah. Last year and the year before that. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't follow it. So I mean, the station's still winning awards. It's still, yeah. Like I said, it's still very active in the scene. There's a couple of DJs that you know do radio yeah. record labels as well and, and yeah. stuff like that. So I'd say, I mean, barring some sort of you know asteroid extinction dinosaur thing, right. like I'd say the future is strong for KDU. Radio is great. I mean, there's there's always this fear that people have that terrestrial radio is going to die out. And it's just going to be replaced by everyone's going to have MP3 players and internet radio stations that just play what you want them to play. 
and that's kind of scary. I don't really know if that's the future or not. I I can argue. I can I can I can make both arguments, but I think what's great about terrestrial radio and what's great really about college radio and something like KDU is that KDU does not play what you want to hear, always. KDU plays what the DJ wants to hear, and if you're listening, you're going to hear some things that you know, hopefully a lot that you don't know, and some things that you that are really compelling and interesting and that you'll grow to know and like, and I think that's really the value of KDU. And not what the record labels want you to hear. Yeah. It allows for the happy accident, because rather than programming, if you like this, then you will like this. Mm -hmm. It could, it could put something else in your head that you have no idea. Maybe even initially if you like, but I mean, if you have an open mind that is looking for, for new material, then you get this opportunity to mm -hmm. hear something that you would not normally hear that is maybe outside of your realm of interest. And it, it, you know, it might be a bullet to the brain, potentially. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of... I mean, as of a couple of years ago, there's a music industry major here, but what put this station on the map was all members that no one was going into the industry. I mean, the whole history of the station, I think there's probably two or three people that went into professional broadcasting careers. and and But it was a station of engineers and computer programmers and, and graphic designers and photographers that were all here because they loved the scene, whether it was like underground dance music or punk or reggae or or whatever stuff. It was, you know, they weren't here trying to build a resume and... and put something, you know, to try to go and get it. Because when you go out and apply for, like, an engineering job, no one cares that you were spinning records for four years instead <laughs> of, you know, studying. Yeah. So it was all people that were here purely because they, they loved what they were doing. But the listener, the yeah, the listener doing. is going to get the feeling. Yeah. That the, and I, this, I think that's what makes it legitimate. Yeah, because they that feel that it's being programmed by love, like genuine passion for music and not, like, you know, this is what we need to play not, so many times an hour. Yeah, commercial radio with a rotation yeah. saying yeah. this song, it's this one track from this band. Because I know, I don't know if they still do it, but I know when I was here, when record labels would send out one or two track CDs, we would throw them in the trash. And then they would tell the station, they would tell the, or sorry, excuse me, tell the label, if you don't send us the whole album, don't send us anything. Like, you know, we're, we're college educated students here and we can, we can listen to a, one of, we can listen to a record and pick a song we like. Yeah. And if you're trying to push a song, then this isn't the right place. So... I mean, I guess that's really what we've been doing since probably about 1980 or so when the station really went off of the path of just being a low-powered radio station to being something unique. Super. Well, uh, it's been great talking to both of you, and uh, thanks a lot for participating. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>